Thank you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. Amen, amen. That's so true, isn't it? We are no victims, and a lot of times we can act like that, can't we? That's something that I can struggle with a lot, and all of us can, but that's something that we need to constantly remind ourselves is we aren't a victim, that our identity is in Jesus Christ, no matter what our struggles with, and we're not perfect, but we are called to rely on his perfection. And that's what's so amazing about the gospel is it's not about what we've done. It's not about what we can do. It's about Jesus and what he's done in our life. And it's so incredible. And uh, I just, I consider it a blessing to be able to be a part of a family of God that loves him so much and that wants to worship him, that understands that and wants to grow in our faith. And, and uh, this week, uh, we're continuing on in our series, the Comfort Shatter series. And we started this last week. Um, the really the main focus of this is to get back to some of the basic fundamentals of our faith. Uh, kind of the subtitle with that is the hard teachings of Jesus. So those basic fundamentals, bare bone basics of our faith. We talked about last week how important it is uh, to consistently remind ourselves of those those fundamentals and how athletes, you know, especially those those athletes, pro athletes, for example, one of the things that that really helps them in that process of of practicing all the time is never forgetting and never moving past those basic fundamentals. Some of the best in the world still practice those things week in and week out every single week, even though they're some of the best in the world. And for us, when it comes to followers of Christ, it's so important, guys, for us to do the same, to never move past those basic fundamentals. Last week, we kicked this off with a sermon called All or Nothing. And really, the focus of that sermon was to get back to the call of Jesus Christ to follow, that call of Christ to follow me. And, and um, the big idea in that text was the call of Christ is all or nothing. The call of Christ is all or nothing. In other words, whenever Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't call us to follow him in, in some areas or some aspects of our life. He calls us to follow in every single aspect of our life. And when we follow him, it's not like we're following in perfection. Trust me, I definitely am not perfect at all. I struggle a lot. All of us do. So we don't follow him in perfection. We're relying on his perfection. But what he does require of us as we follow him is to obey him and to trust him. To obey him and to trust him with everything that we have and everything that we are. That's what it means. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as the New Testament calls it, a disciple of Jesus. And something else when it comes to being a disciple, a true follower of Christ, that also means that we have to listen. We have to pay attention to what he says in his word. And also through prayer, what he, what he says to us as well. We have to pay attention, listen to what he says. But then we have to take what he says very seriously. And with that said, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is we're going to get back to one of the most important things that Jesus ever said to us. It's almost, it's been defined as like this epic climax almost of, of Jesus' entire ministry. This one thing that he has to say to us. And what we're going to see as we dive into the text today, one of the main things that we're going to see is that Jesus' call to make disciples is a command, not a choice. Jesus' call to make disciples is a command, not a choice. That's our big idea today. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be your son, for the fact that you have saved me, that you have saved so many of us, with your scandalous love and grace that we do not deserve and that we need so desperately. And I pray that you use me, a broken, sinful man, to speak about your gospel, to speak your words, not my own. I pray that you get me out of the way, that you speak through me, Holy Spirit, that you take over this service. I pray that you convict us, convict me of the things that you want to challenge us with today and teach us today. 
And help us to take this seriously, to be the intentional disciples, followers of you that make intentional disciples, followers for you, Jesus. And I pray that if there's anybody in here today that does not know you, that has not responded to your gospel message, I pray that you would, you would break the chains in their life, that you would open their eyes to your grace, and that you would help them to move in your direction in response. And I pray that you would just transform their life. I pray that none of us leave here today the same, that we leave here changed in a closer, more intimate relationship with you. We thank you so much, Jesus. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 28. That's where we're going to be at today, the, the end of Matthew 28. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen just a, in just a moment. But as you're turning there, I want to kind of paint a scene for you, and, and I want to ask you a question. And as I do this, what I want you to do, what I want to encourage you to do, is really kind of think about this and, and try to put yourself in this scene, in this situation. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that there's somebody that you love more than anybody else in the whole world, somebody that you love so much, and they are about to leave for a long time. And I'm not talking about a couple days or like a few years. I'm talking about a long time. They're going to be gone. You don't know when they're coming back, right? And then they look at you right before they leave. They look at you very seriously, very intensely, and they say this, I have something that I want to tell you. I have something that I want to tell you. In that moment, if you're in that scene, that person's looking at you and saying this, would you just, what would you do? Would you just shrug it off and say, well, I'm not too worried about it. You know, don't worry about it. Just keep it to yourself. You know, I, I'm not really too worried about it. I don't really care too much. You just go on. I'm not going to worry about what you have to say. Or would you lean in so that you can catch every word, every syllable that they had to say and hold on to that, knowing that what they're about to say is extremely important? See, that's the scene that we're about to step into with Jesus and these first disciples as Jesus is about to meet with them and he's about to say something to them right before he ascends into heaven. And what's happened up to this point in time? Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus has already taken place. He's already appeared to the disciples several times after his resurrection. And the last time that he appeared to him just before this scene that we're about to step into with them, the last time he actually told them to go to a, a mountain, and he's going to meet with them there. And so that's what's about to happen. And again, he's going to be telling them something. It's going to be extremely important. But there's something really important that we have to understand about this. And catch this. Don't miss this. What Jesus said to those first disciples in this scene, the, the, the last thing that he said before he ascended to heaven, he didn't just say that to the first disciples, guys. He said that to every single one of us as his father. Every single one of us. So you, uh, you know, individually and also us collectively, these are the words that Jesus Christ said to you right before he ascended to heaven. Check this out. It's Matthew 28, starting with verse 16. We're going to paint the scene here in 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. So pause there for just a moment. So in this scene, again, Jesus is kind of, he's painting the scene. He, he's just told him, we just talked about that. Hey, meet me over here at this specific location, specifically a mountain, right? And what the plan is, Jesus is going to meet them, and then he's going to talk to them right before he ascends to heaven, okay? So one of the things that we, we see, and you think about the gospel messages, you know, how, how, many, how many times throughout the gospels do we see Jesus ministering on a mountain? Like, we see that a lot, right? I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount, or the Transfiguration. There's all these different pictures of Jesus ministering on a mountain. Here he is. He's about to meet with the disciples right before he ascends, and it's going to be at a mountain, right? 
So, so what does this tell us? So obviously Jesus loves mountains, right? So here we are in Western North Carolina, and I'm just saying the Gospels don't lie. Jesus obviously loves mountains. So, you know, one thing, if you've got family members, you've got friends, you've been trying to tell them to move here, you now have a reason other than the fact that the mountains are awesome. Amen? The mountains are great. Uh, but obviously Jesus loves mountains. So we see that in this scene. But he does. He loves, when you read the Gospels, Jesus loves ministering on mountains. And he's doing that. He's going to meet with them on this mountain. And uh, this is what the text says next. When they saw him, talking about the disciples, when they saw him, catch out what, check out what they did, they worshiped. So when the di- disciples saw Jesus, what was the very first reaction? What was the first thing they did? As soon as their eyes met Jesus, what was the first thing that they did? They worshiped him. They worshiped him. There was no hesitation there was no, like, second thought, like, you know, well, what do we do now? There's Jesus, or, you know, just like looking around or getting distracted. There was none of that stuff. Immediately, the first thing that they did as soon as they saw Jesus was they started worshiping him. Why is that? Two reasons. One, they understood who he was, who he is. They understood who he is. And number two, they also understood what he has done for us. Because Jesus Christ, number one, he is the God of the universe, which alone demands our worship of him. But number two, also, he is our Lord, our Savior, and our Redeemer. Check out what the prophet Isaiah had to say about Jesus. This is Isaiah 53. He says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. And he carried our pains. And we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquity. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by what? By his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. In other words, the reason that the disciples worshipped him is because they understood that he is God. And they understood that he is the only reason that we have any kind of hope whatsoever when it comes to salvation. He's the only kind of reason that we have any kind of hope when it comes to our future whatsoever. He is the only reason we have hope, period. And the only thing that saves us from the, the sin that we are all hopelessly drowning in is the scandalous grace of God found solely, only, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. This is why the disciples didn't hesitate to worship Jesus just at the mere sight of his presence. And as disciples of Christ today in 2018, guys, we're called to do the same, to worship him with everything that we have and everything that we are, knowing who he is and also what he has done for us by buying our redemption with his own life. And this understanding, guys, just this, the understanding of who he is and what he has done, should drive us to our knees in awe and of worship of him. And also love and devotion. And that's what we see these, these disciples in this scene. They, they, it's this overwhelming love and this devotion that they have for Jesus, which drove them to their knees in worship of him as their Lord and their Savior. But in this scene, the worship wasn't the only thing that we see these, some of these disciples doing. The text also says, as you keep on reading, but some doubted. So some of these guys were worshiping Jesus like right off the bat, didn't even have to think twice. They knew who he is. They knew what he has done for us. And instantly, without even thinking about it, they start worshiping him. But then it says some doubted, right? And it generates this question, well, why did some doubt? What's up with this? 
And one of the things that we have to understand is what is meant by that word doubted, okay? Because the English language, in all honesty, is there's a lot of questions as far as when it comes to words. There's not a lot of um, clarity in some of the words. And so when you go back to the Greek, what this is actually saying, it's not doubted like an unbelief, like they completely did not believe. What this is really trying to get at, it's, it's really implying a hesitation that some of them had. And it's like, okay, well, why were some of them hesitant? But but if you, if you really put yourself in those shoes, rather than just kind of glossing over this, I mean, think about the context and the situation that was going on. What was going on in these guys' life in this moment of time? It's only been a few weeks, guys, since Jesus was, like, brutally beaten and killed, crucified on a cross. He was dead in a tomb for three days. They saw a lot of this. Saul is in, in the tomb as well. John was there at the foot of the cross. He was dead. Then he resurrects. Now he's appeared for him several times. So in this context, their heads are spinning. They're like, what in the world is going on? I mean, this is crazy. You were just dead. Now you're alive. You are God. Oh, my goodness. And so their heads are kind of spinning. It's not an unbelief, like, you know, a doubt, like I don't believe. It's like, man, I'm just trying to wrap my heads around this. But the picture that we can really draw from this is, is this. What they did through the doubt. What they did through the hesitation, through the doubt. And, guys, that's a picture of something that we can do when we, were, we are struggling in this same instance with doubt, with hesitation. I mean, it could be a situation where maybe it's finances. Like, how, how, how are we going to be able to pay the bills? I don't know how we're going to do this. I, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. And, but I'm, just, I'm struggling right now. Or it could be a relationship issue. Or maybe it's health issues or whatever it is, and you're struggling. And these guys paint an incredible picture of what we are all called to do when we're struggling with those things. And so what do they do? They still obey Jesus, right? They go to this mountain with the other disciples. They're still following Jesus. And then what else are they doing? Are they abandoning like the other disciples? Are they separating themselves, secluding themselves? No, they're still surrounding themselves with the family of God. And guys, this paints an incredible picture of what every single one of us is called to do when we struggle with doubt. And all of us struggle with it. I mean, you think about John the Baptist. What did Jesus say about John the Baptist? No greater man at that, at that point in time had lived um, better than John the Baptist. And he struggled with this too. I mean, think about it. When he was in prison, what did he do? He sent his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you really him? Are you really the Messiah? John the Baptist. As we all struggle with this, but this scene paints an incredible picture of what we're called to do. Follow him, obey him, and surround ourselves with the family of God. So, so far in this scene, getting back to the text, Jesus has directed the disciples to this place where he's going to meet with them to this, this mountain. They see him. They started worshiping him. Again, some doubted. That's where we're at next. It says, Jesus came near and said to them. Jesus came near and said to them. So in other words, this is about to get real. It's about to get serious. Whenever, whenever we read the gospel accounts, whenever Jesus is walking towards someone, talking to them, whenever he's, he's going somewhere, there's intentionality. There, there's a reason. There's a focus and a purpose for every. Thing that he did. He didn't just like randomly walk somewhere, randomly go up to some place, and it was just really sporadic. He did it for a reason. So in other words, there's a purpose, there's a reason. This is important. Check out what Jesus says. The first thing he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Pause there for just a moment. So guys, don't miss those words, all authority, all authority. So in other words, Jesus doesn't have just like a little bit of authority doesn't have like some authority. It's not like, you know, authority, you know, just in some areas. He has all authority, meaning the entire universe and everything in it. 
And the fact that Jesus Christ has authority over everything demands, not suggests, demands that we obey him and that we worship him. And what we have to understand is regardless of whether or not we choose to follow Jesus in this life, that does not, hear me on this, that does not dictate whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That does not dictate that. Jesus is Lord of all regardless of what you choose to do in this life. That's why the word of God tells us that one day every knee will bow. One day every single knee will bow. And one day everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only choice that we have in this matter is whether or not we are going to surrender him as Lord and Savior of our life in this life, surrender to his scandalous love and grace in this life, or instead choose to face his wrath and his judgment later. That's the only choice that we have in this matter. And in this text, the reason that Jesus is really honing in on this and telling us that he has all authority is, for one, he wants us to know, look, I have all authority over the entire universe and everything in it. That's one reason. If you didn't know that, he has all authority. And if you do, it's just a reminder. But there's another reason. And it's really, this is kind of the main reason that he tells us he has all authority. This is why. Because he's setting the stage. He's kind of setting the scene for what he's about to say. What he's essentially doing is he's saying, look, okay, I have all authority over the universe and everything in it. And because I have all authority, because I am God, I want you to do this. I want you to do this because of all authority. Check out what he says to, again, us, every single one of us as his followers. And again, put yourself, as we read this, put yourself in this scene. Don't just gloss over this. He said this to every single one of us as his followers. So imagine yourself standing there on this mountain. Jesus, again, he came close. He's leaning in. He's saying this. He's about to leave. This is what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And notice in this text, he doesn't say, hey, when it's convenient, make disciples. When, when, when you feel like it, right, when, when you got things together, when, when you know, you got, you got enough money saved up, when you, you hit retirement, you're done with, with school, you got that job you're looking for, you know, when, when you raised your kids a little bit more, I know it's, I know it's hard, so wait just a few years. You, he doesn't say that. What does he say? One word, go. Go. There's nothing else attached to this. It is go, meaning regardless of your schedule, regardless of the situations, regardless of whether it's easy or not, regardless of where it is at. Go and make disciples. And who do we make disciples? All nations. All nations. In other words, as many people as we possibly can. And guys, remember, this isn't just any command. Remember context. Remember what's going on. This is the last thing that Jesus says before he is sent. And so out of everything that Jesus could have possibly said, all the different things that Jesus could have said before he ascended, he intentionally picked this last thing, this last command to kind of wrap up and summarize everything that he has done from the time that he's on earth and all the different miracles, all the ministry that he's done, all the things that he's taught. He's like basically coming together and he's like, okay, look, look, I got one last thing I want to tell you before I leave. Catch this. Don't miss this. And this is the epic climax of his ministry is what this has been called. This call to go and make disciples. And see, guys, this command, it forces us forces us to get outside of our comfort zones, to be intentional disciples of Jesus that make intentional disciples of Jesus. I mean, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. 
And so with that, when we see, okay, this is a command to go and make disciples. And it's like, okay, I get that. This is a command. This is serious. This is from Jesus. So we need to make disciples. But it generates this question, but how do we do it? Like, I get it's important we need to make disciples. But practically speaking, how am I supposed to do this? And what's so cool about Jesus' command to make disciples is he includes in the command, he includes how we do this. He includes how to do this. And he actually, he breaks it down Barney style. He gives us a three-step process to making disciples. And he's already hit on the first one. What is it? To go. To go. And all, they, all he's talking about there is being intentional, like being active and looking for people to make disciples. I mean, well, you know, praying, Jesus, put people into my life to disciple and actively looking wherever, wherever God puts us, you know, individually, for example, you know, when it comes to your workplaces, when it comes to, you know, maybe you stop at a gas station, you go to the mall, wherever, being open, being willing, praying for God to put people into your life. And this isn't a once in a while, you know, when you feel like it type of basis, this is on a consistent process, consistent process, looking for people intentionally to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And also another way is in the church, in the church body, guys, where we, you know, there's this process of intentionally making disciples and discipling people on a one-on-one basis, but then also in the church body where we are pointing each other toward Jesus, helping to really disciple each other, and especially some of the newer Christians really putting them under our wing and helping to encourage them in their walk with Christ. And then another aspect of this is fulfilling the Great Commissions to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. And how do we do that? I mean, it's like, how am I supposed to fulfill the Great Commission to the ends of the earth? I'm only one person. Well, guess what? If every single one of us were to to go on mission trips or every single one of us were to actually give towards these missions, towards, you know, missionaries that have boots on the ground in some of these areas of the world where it's completely unreached. Guys, do do you realize it would only take a few years to fulfill the Great Commission if every single one of us took this command to make disciples seriously? And one of the things, too, for some of you that may not know here at Victory Church, one of the ways that we give towards this is towards a ministry um, in El Salvador called Kendrick's Ministry. And really quick, I'm just going to hit on this. It's an incredible. So as you give to this church, a part of what you give goes towards this ministry. And what they do is they actually train up pastors, people that have been called uh, to, to, to pastor churches. And they train them up. It's a whole program that they go through, basically like a mini seminary. They teach them the word of God, theology. They th- teach them how to preach, how to, to disciple, all these different things. And what they have to do before they graduate, they actually have to physically plant a church, like with their own hands, like literally help to plant these churches. But here's the key. This is what's so cool. It's in unreached places. But parts of the, I mean, parts of El Salvador, literally, that do not have churches for miles where people have not heard the gospel. And then what they also do is they, they actually have a radio station. And this church has been a part of putting up a tower for this radio station. So what they do is they broadcast the gospel message, worship, music, sermons, the gospel to these different places. So as they go and they plant these churches and unreached places where they would have had, I mean, no access to the gospel whatsoever, they're finding pockets of Christians because of the radio tower. So this church is literally here in Morganton, North Carolina, this small church is being a part of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth to unreached places. And so that's something that you can be encouraged in also as you get to the church. And so that's that first step of the three-step process is to go, be intentional, look for, pray for people, to, for God to put into your life. And the second step, check it out. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the second step, what is it? It's baptizing them baptizing them. 
And when it comes to baptism, guys, there's no power in the water. The water itself doesn't save you. The power of the authority is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one doing the saving, not the water. But the water is an, is an outward representation of that internal transformation. And when we go back to the, the book of Acts, so if you think about this for just a moment, the responses, that the book of Acts outlines two different responses when it comes to, to salvation, right? You know, and, and really uh, responding when God opens our eyes uh, to, to a scandalous grace. And the first one is called repentance. And all that word repentance means, sounds like this fancy word, but all it means is turning away from anything that we've tried to, to make a God or like a little G God or an idol, makeshift functional Savior in our life, and just turn to Jesus, not in perfection, but in willing, you know, humble obedience and trust and, and, and turning to him as God alone in our life. And when you look at the picture of a marriage ceremony, that repentance, what that's kind of represented by is, is this covenant that's made. So the vows that are made in a wedding ceremony where you are making, you're, you are basically saying your vow to Jesus, making a covenant with Jesus like, Jesus, I am all yours, everything that I have and everything that I am. And it's those vows in the wedding ceremony. And so what is baptism? Well, you think about, think about this. Think about a ring. So you're thinking about a wedding ceremony, and after the vows are said, the covenant is made, the ring. So the vows have already been said, so it's already been solidified, but the ring, there's so much just power in the, the, the symbolic presence of the ring that has been slid on the finger. And it's basically to represent, for me, it represents that I um, belong as a husband to Brittany Tripp and to no one else. I am taken, I am hers when it comes to a husband. And when that ring goes on, I remember that, she remembers that, and everyone else remembers and knows that. And guys, baptism, it's like that ring, that outward symbol that signifies that we belong to Jesus. And it's one of the most encouraging things to be a part of baptism, to see that process in people's lives. And, and there are so many, I want to hit on this for a moment, because there are so many opinions out there. Like, should we be baptized? Does it really matter? Is it, is it really that important? You know, I'm following Christ. And, you know, what, all kinds of crazy opinions. But hear me on this, in love. At the end of the day, in love, our opinions don't matter. Our opinions don't matter. The only opinion that carries any weight, any, any value whatsoever, any authority with it, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ commands us to be baptized. And, and then don't, don't miss the part, too, where he talks about the Trinity. That word Trinity, it's not seen in the Bible, but he says to baptize them, what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And this is important, this is significant, because it shows us that when someone steps into repentance and they're really following Christ, it shows us that they have to have at least a basic understanding, a basic knowledge of the gospel. doesn't mean you have to have the whole thing memorized, okay? I don't have the whole thing memorized, okay? Um, it, but you have to have at least a basic understanding and knowledge of the gospel, but you also have to have a basic understanding and knowledge of who God is and how he expresses himself. As one God in nature, which we see all throughout the Bible, one God expressed in three separate divine persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So first step, go. Be intentional. Look. Pray for disciples. And then the second step is to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then then the third step that we see next, first part of verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So the last step that Jesus gives us to teach them them what? Teach them everything that Jesus has commanded us. And so how do we do this? 
man, that means just getting together with them, breaking open the Bible, which means that you have to break open the Bible and read it for yourself. You don't have to memorize the whole thing, but you've got to know the Word of God and sit down and actually read the Word of God. Go through you know, the, the whole gospel. They're, they're going to have at least a basic understanding of the gospel, but break down the whole gospel for them. Help them to understand it. Read the Bible, the Word with them, and answer these questions with them. But on top of just on top of telling them about it and teaching them through our words, what's one of the best ways to teach somebody? Think about what's one of the best ways to teach somebody? Not just through our words, but what? Through our actions. So if you want to, for example, teach somebody about grace, the grace of God, don't just teach them, yes, through your words and through the word of God, and then show them grace. Show them how to live that life, living out grace. And then also forgiveness, teaching them forgiveness, but then showing them forgiveness. Teaching them about the love of Christ and telling them about the new commandment and how that was significant because it was right before Jesus went to the cross. And it tells us that we need to sacrificially love one another, but then show them sacrificial love. That's one of the best ways to teach people about the word of God. But guys, the sad reality is, when, really when it comes to the Great Commission as a whole, but then specifically this part of the Great Commission, the sad reality is we fail miserably in this. As a global church body, we fail miserably, not even close, guys. Because what do we typically do? I mean, let's just think about it. What do we typically do when we think about making disciples, when we think about teaching them? Because what we have to understand is this is part of the commandment. This isn't like go make disciples, and the, the second part is just like, hey, if you have time, do this other stuff. This is part of the commandment. It goes along with it. And so what do we usually do sometimes? Sometimes maybe we'll invite people to church. And then maybe if we invite people to church, we might tell them about Jesus, maybe tell them about the gospel. But typically, a lot of times, we'll even leave that to who? To the church pastors and to the leaders, right? But guys, listen, when we, when we read this command, when we read this command to go and to make disciples, do you see any criteria at all in this command to making disciples? Does it say church pastors or, or church leaders make disciples and teach them? No. There's absolutely the only criteria to this, to making disciples, to, baptism, to, 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 to teaching them is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ ourselves. That is the only criteria for this. So in other words, it's not just a command for pastors. It's a command for every single one of us. Guys, in love, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this, is com- this command is specifically for every single one of us to make disciples for Jesus. Let's, and for us, guys, I want to encourage us. Let's, let's take this seriously. Let's take this command seriously, not, not as a request, not as a suggestion of Jesus, but as a command of Jesus to make disciples. Let's be intentional followers, disciples of Christ that make intentional followers of Jesus Christ. And as we go through this process of making disciples for Jesus, check out the last thing that Jesus says to us in this text. He says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as we make disciples, we don't do it in our own power. We're not doing it in our own authority. We're doing it in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And no matter where we go, no matter who it is that God puts into our life to disciple, one of the incredible things that we can know is this promise that Jesus made to us that he is with us every single step of the way. Every step of the way. 
And so as you're, you're sitting here and you're kind of wondering, okay, God made this command. Jesus made this command to make disciples, and I need to take this seriously. And so, so when do I start doing this? Like, I want to start doing this. I want to take this seriously. I haven't been doing it, so I want to start doing this. So when do I start? And the answer to that question is right now. Right now. Guys, listen, you do not have to leave this room without, before starting that process of making disciples. The vast majority of our churches today have people sitting in our pews, sitting in the rows that do not know Jesus honestly, that are not following Jesus Christ. You don't have to leave this room before starting that process. And then as you leave here today, wherever you go, wherever, wherever your feet hit the ground, man, you'll be intentional. Make your overall focus, your overall mission to make disciples of Jesus. This is a, the restaurant that you go to or the the gas station or the, the store, your workplace. One of the most important places that is often missed is our own family inside of our own household. And one of the most incredible ways to make disciples for Jesus is through our kids, is discipling them and teaching them the word of God. Because let's be a church body that's known for responding to Jesus' command to make disciples. Let's be a church body that's known to go and make disciples. Worship team, you guys can come on. And if you're here today and, and you're not a follower of Christ, if you've never responded to the gospel message, then I want to encourage you, man, it's not about being perfect. It's about surrendering to Jesus' perfection in your place. That's what this is about. It's about what Jesus has done, not about what you have done, not about what you can do. And so no matter what's going on in your life, don't wait until you, re, you know, reach a certain level of sobriety. Don't wait until you've got things under control in certain areas of your life to surrender to him because you'll be waiting forever. Just, just surrender to him. He loves you so much. And we're, in just a moment, we're going to have a, uh, a prayer team up here to the left. And so if you would like to talk with him, if you'd like prayer, if you have any questions about any of this stuff, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Or also, if you're here today and you are somebody, you're a follower of Christ, but, but you, you haven't been taking this seriously and you're ready to make that commitment and you really want some prayer and accountability with that, again, come up. The altar's open. The prayer team will be here. We'd love to pray with you. We'll go ahead and stand. We're going to worship together one last song. And as we worship, you respond. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things, 
Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourselves God and all these other things in life God and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you've stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.